0: Welcome to today's episode of The Rebound, what's ahead for small package delivery. I'm Bob Troublecock. I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And joining us today is Alan Amling. Alan is a fellow at the University of Tennessee Global Supply Chain Institute and CEO of the advisory firm Thrive in Advance. And to today's topic, he's also a former UPS executive. The increase in e-commerce orders over the last six months shows no sign of letting up ever. For e-commerce fulfillment centers, every day is Cyber Monday, but getting orders out the door is only half the batter. After all, no order is complete until it's delivered to the customer. While a lot of the recent focus has been on the distribution center, small package delivery is also feeling the stress. So what comes next? As a former UPS executive and now an academic doing research into e-commerce fulfillment, Alan brings a unique perspective to that question. So
1: Abe, why don't you start things off? Absolutely. Thank you, Bob. And Alan, welcome to The Rebound. Thank you. Uh, Let's start off with uh, some uh, straightforward uh, questions here. First, uh, our reliance on small package delivery has accelerated and exploded in a lot of different areas. I think I'm responsible for a majority of it in my neighborhood. <laughs> um, based on the recent surges, uh, we've seen not only increases in the package delivery, but we've seen the companies that are responsible for it not only you know having trouble finding employees, but their stock price has obviously been uh, reflected the additional um, efforts that they've been um, undertaking. Obviously, this is a good thing for the carriers, right? Does this last, or are we going to see a significant change post pandemic?
2: Well, thanks for that. Uh, thanks for that question, and Abe and Bob, thanks for having me on the, on the rebound. Um, so you know, this pandemic has been so horrible for so many people around the world, and you know, my heart goes out to them, and I'm cheering on as we all are, all the healthcare professionals working on um, treatments and vaccines. But at the same time, as a logistics nerd, (laughs) I'm just fascinated. We're living through a real-time experiment on structural change in the economy. You know, as a logistics practitioner and a student of disruption, it's been fascinating to see, you know, how these consumers and businesses have adapted you know, not the least of which is to these uh, surging e-commerce e-commerce orders. Um, you know, the structural transformation that's happening around the way we purchase goods has been going on since the uh, mid-90s. What was Amazon was like 95 or 96 that they started. Uh, but it, it seems like it's accelerated six years in the last six months. And it's not just consumer goods. It's You know, there's been an acceleration of online grocery, prepared foods. My 83-year-old mom began ordering groceries for curbside pickup a few months ago, and she'll never go back. I mean, post-pandemic, that change is going to continue. And you think of all the other structural changes. I mean, you know, back in the day, the term Zoom meant that uh, we used it to mean that we wanted to go fast. And and now it means to get on a Brady Bunch style video call in, you know, shorts and a, and a nice dress shirt. <laughs> and, uh, you know, these streaming services, you know, have gained millions of new subscribers. Just last week, I think it was Disney was able to turn a profit while their parks were closed. Who would have ever thought that would happen? And so these trends that we've seen during the pandemic, Won't subside or go go away post-pandemic. And as a former employee and uh, a current stockholder of UPS, I'm very happy about the uh, increased deliveries and the bump in stock price. But you know, the road is is still very rocky for the traditional carriers um, coming out of this pandemic. I mean, the the stock price has surged. Uh, Lately because the carriers are you know, they're taking advantage of uh, some pricing power that they have in the market right now But while that's great, you know, we live in a capitalist economy and what's and what's really interesting is going to be following What's the reaction of the retailers that have to pay that, you know, is it going to? exacerbate them building out their own networks or finding other regional or local solutions and uh I love being kind of in the middle of this, being able to look at it from both a practitioner lens and an academic lens.
0: Alan, that's uh, your your last point about um, you know retailers and manufacturers. I think is a great segue for this next question because you know as a consumer, first thing we look at when we go online, or many of us look at, is where can I get free shipping? Yeah. Uh, or what's the lowest shipping I can get if it's you know if it's not free? Which leads us as consumers to assume, well, it must be free for the retailer and the manufacturer. Uh, and maybe it wasn't a big deal when e-commerce was 5% of their business or 7% of their business. You know, It was kind of a lost leader. Yeah. But as e-commerce is becoming such a bigger part of their business and they're now facing these delivery charges, how are manufacturers and retailers adapting you know, to this rapid growth?
2: Yeah, you know, Bob, that's a that's a great question. As the people in the industry know, free shipping is not free, <laughs> and um, and what we've been seeing from manufacturers and retailers uh, has been really cool. You know, retailers have been uh, starting up or uh, expanding their their buy online, pick up in store, and curbside pickup options, which you know had been around for. A number of years with several retailers, but now it's 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 like masks, things that were so foreign, you know, now kind of feel normal. <laughs> you know, they've been starting to expand uh, ship from store, and that is a dramatic dynamic that's changing in the industry. Many companies have, you know, retailers have started ship from store for the very first time during the pandemic out of necessity. Um, And for big box retailers, their retail footprint has has really been an untapped uh, e-commerce asset. So think about a retailer that back in the day had maybe two or three distribution centers across the country, and maybe they had a wide network of stores, but they weren't using stores for e-commerce. And now they're able to route orders to the location either the distribution center or the store that's closest to the point of consumption and um, and that's becoming more and more important as same day and next day is is starting to become commonplace i know you know it wasn't that long ago that 2 to 5 day delivery was was pretty good we all kind of expected that and it's been so funny during this pandemic to hear my neighbors and others, you know, complain that, oh, my delivery is taking two days. Uh, and because uh, we're, we're getting used to same day. And, you know, how do you do same day from uh, from a regional distribution center? You can't. And if you do next day, you have to fly it. And that's just not an economical way to go. So, you know, you're seeing the, the companies. Uh, really embrace this um, buy online, pick up in store, or curbside delivery, or the the ship from ship from store. One of the challenges is one of the things I'm looking at is, you know, how does that as that takes off? How does that evolve? Because it's just not as efficient picking items for e-commerce uh, from stores because stores were built for e-commerce fulfillment. They were built. For us as consumers to go in and, and buy, so so it'll be interesting to see how that evolves, and it'll be interesting to see 3PLs whether if uh, 3PLs start to uh, tap into that uh, opportunity to work with retailers and ship from store. In terms of, of manufacturers, you know, you're seeing more uh, direct to consumer, and that's coming in. At, a different a few different ways so retailers that have had to offer a wider selections of goods are you know offering a lot of goods that are only available online and they're drop shipping you know direct from the manufacturer to the consumer and then you have companies like PG. i'm just like i'm really fascinated looking at these cpg companies like uh PG and how they're uh, expanding their direct to consumer sales. You had Unilever purchase Dollar Shave Club uh, last year. Clorox is making inroads uh, to that market. They just bought a company called uh, Nutronext, uh, which is a, a wellness company. And, you know, once these, once these big brands start getting expertise in, in going direct to consumer, It'll be interesting to see if it goes to their core items as well. I mean, today, who wouldn't buy a subscription Clorox offering if they could get, you know, privileged access to Clorox wipes? And then you have all of the brands like Warby Parker and Casper Mattresses. And we're just getting uh, more comfortable as consumers buying these types of uh, items um, online. And uh, I heard today on CNBC about people spending a million plus on paintings and classic autos uh, through virtual auctions. You know, who, who would have thought that that, that would happen? So, so it's been fascinating to, to see and how these manufacturers and retailers are adapting to the digital economy.
1: Now, Alan, you're bringing up some really excellent points, not only on the, the various products that consumers are now comfortable Ordering online and having delivered online. You talked about autos. Uh, very few individuals go to an auto showroom anymore. They pick the car out and they have it delivered. Right. Uh, the the ship to the store, uh, you know, the direct to consumer seems to, as you identified through your grandmother, is a great example. Much more comfortable. Much more, uh, at least. Um, confidence that I'm going to get what I want in the manner that I want it at a price that I want it. So how has shipped from store and this hyper-local fulfillment, how does this impact the carriers, you know, the small package carriers, when you're starting to see, in some respects, fragmentation of a logistics industry and, you know, trying to get consolidation again from 3PLs. What does this look like?
2: Yeah, so, um, so there's a short-term and a long-term story here. The short-term been a good thing for, for carriers, but it's, it's been what I call the chocolate ice cream problem. So, you know, I love chocolate ice cream. And even though it's not good for my waistline, one or two a day, I love it. It's great. But, you know, by the time I've had my fifth chocolate ice cream cone, I'm feeling a little sick. And that's, uh, that's what's, what's happened to the carriers a little bit too much of a, of a good thing. And, we saw companies like FedEx, um, you know, began to limit the number of items being shipped from coal stores. But uh, short term, you know, that's been that's been good. Longer term, it will be a challenge. And the reason, the reason having these, uh, you know, hyper local fulfillment centers, which you know, by that, when we when we talk about that, or whether it's shipped from store, it is. You know fulfillment centers that are actually in the population centers, so they're they're all local deliveries. It allows you to easily do same day and next day uh, delivery. And instead of you know a company that needs a a, a national network, um, you can use local providers, and that is. You know, that's going to be a challenge to the small package carriers because, you know, local contractors and gig workers are are much less costly. And, you know, and it gets to this idea of same day delivery. If that takes off, you're going to see more of a push towards uh, ship from store and these hyper local fulfillment centers, because if it's a competitive imperative, that's really the only way you can economically do it because um, you can't. Again, you can't do it from a regional distribution center uh, for same day. And for next day, it's just very costly. The flip side of that is you're going to be paying more in inventory, right? Because you're going to be duplicating inventory in more locations. So it's going to be evolving and it's going to be very context specific to the individual retailer. But um, if we do see same day take off, and my suspicion is that it is going to become more of a standard because you've already got Amazon pushing it. Uh, Walmart Plus, which is going to be rolling out, is going to have same-day delivery of uh, consumer goods and groceries as a standard part of that offering. Um, and right there between those two retailers, you've got, what, you know, 50% of e-commerce um, in the United States. So that is going to be the bar that people are going to have to meet. And, uh, you know, the small package carriers weren't built for that. The issue that they have is kind of a vi- being a victim of their own success. You know, they have these highly efficient route-based networks. And uh, what I mean by that is these, uh, like my alma mater, these brown package cars, they leave the delivery centers full in the morning of deliveries and they come back at night full of pickups. UPS and FedEx do such a good job of kind of optimizing uh, those networks, but they're not conducive to the in and out that's required for same-day delivery. Those are really geared towards contractor and gig economy networks. So it's part of what I was talking about. This structural shift is really rocking the logistics world. And, And small package carriers are... Are, are going to be part of that disruption. and It'll be interesting to see how how they're able to you know, adapt themselves as, as that change takes place.
0: Alan, this is a, a, a great conversation. I'd like to uh, extend that point just a little bit more. So uh, you and I talked when we were getting ready for this that um, I've been talking to a lot of these startup platforms yeah. that are trying to you know, they're focusing on those low-cost couriers, the gig economy workers, uh, who want to go out and work four hours a day and make deliveries. So they're going to create an Uber-like platform, right. you know, to go to the stores and that. And it doesn't seem as if, you know, the UPSs and the Fedexes and the DHLs of the world are set up to do that, go to the store, pick up a bunch of stuff and, and you know, deliver it in a neighborhood and then go pick up some more. So, How are they going to compete? Do you think they're going to specialize in what they've always done, which is, you know, doing great, getting it across the country, doing, let's say, you know, next day and and the same day goes to the gig workers, the local couriers, uh, the, the platform through creating this? Or do you think they're going to have to come up with some kind of a service to compete with that to do same day?
2: So Bob, I think I think this is the uh, the challenge that the carriers are 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 going to be facing. They are not set up to do ins and outs. Their networks are built around the ability to consolidate packages, which has been the traditional efficiency lever they've been able to pull with great success. but same day uh, throws this on its head. And if you look at carriers, you could see, you know potentially, FedEx adapting to this because they've got a non-union workforce for their uh, ground delivery. Uh, they may be able to adapt that uh, to this new reality of same-day shipping. I think it'll be, you know, a little more difficult for um, for UPS with uh, uh, Teamster drivers. It's not that they couldn't do it, but it would be very uh, difficult to make that cost-effective and and so you know, I, I think you're seeing the carriers, you know, doing some great things in terms of vesting in ob- automation and robotics. Uh, but they're still optimizing a route based system that is not conducive to uh, same day delivery. And, you know, some of the, the companies that we were talking about that are, you know, providing this hyper local fulfillment, you know, companies, that like flow, uh, stored in, in flex and, uh, you know, UPS has a joint venture called where to go that is doing this. You've got, um, Domatic and others that are, that are building these, you know, highly automated facilities, you know, automation for, uh, very tight spaces for urban deliveries. And that is, that's going to drive this new generation of last mile delivery solutions you know that isn't going to be the you know the sole area of uh, controlled by the traditional small package characters uh, carriers it's really going to democratize uh small package delivery and so we're going to see many more players regional players in this area and really the the differentiating factor is going to be who, which company can use AI and machine learning to coordinate these disparate assets, uh, delivery assets, and make them efficient. Because uh, right now, it is a necessity, but no one's making money on uh, same-day shipping. And that's something that's just going to have to change uh, over time as this goes from exception to commonplace.
1: Alan, those are great points. Let me uh, ask our final question here. Uh, we've seen retailers like Amazon, Walmart, Target, they're all getting into the logistics space right now, but they're also significant customers of the package carriers. How does this dynamic play out in the next few years?
2: Yeah, so, so what you're seeing is retail supply chains are moving from cost centers to strategic investments. You know, in the first half of 2020 alone, you saw Costco spent a billion dollars for middle and last mile carrier Innovel Solutions. That was uh, kind of the former Sears logistics and they do a lot of heavy goods. Um, Home Depot opened a dozen last mile facilities and this, you know, they're planning for a hundred more. Target, shoot, their e-commerce sales in the first quarter rose 141% and they're leveraging... uh, Shipped S H uh, I P T, which is the same day delivery company they acquired uh, a couple years ago. As we talked about earlier, Walmart has been expanding ship from store. I think they're you know expanded to over 2,500 locations. And, and of course, the elephant in the room is Amazon. Amazon made up about, uh, I think it was like 12.6% of UPS revenue. In 2019. And uh, according to Morning and Stanley, Amazon Logistics is already delivering uh, nearly as many packages per year as FedEx and uh, is projected to, to to grow pretty rapidly through 2022. And this creates an interesting dynamic because all of these retailers are still great customers of the carriers. And, and it's creating an interesting dynamic. You know, when I was in corporate strategy for UPS. I never lost sleep over FedEx. And you know, FedEx is a fantastic company. They really are uh, up and down the line. But I knew that if they invested a dollar in logistics, they had to make a dollar in logistics. And that's just not the case with Amazon, with Walmart, with Target, with Home Depot, with, uh, with Costco. You know, these are pan-industrial companies. They have multiple revenue streams, and it's a very different animal. And so you think about trying to compete against a company in your core business that doesn't have to make money. And they make money in different places, and Amazon is uh, obviously the champ of that actually first saw this phenomenon a couple years ago i was looking at logistics in china in e-commerce in china i did a paper with uh, patricia doherty from iowa state and we were looking at china and saying okay well china the e-commerce penetration is double what it is in the u.s uh the urban urbanization issue is uh much greater in china what are they doing right now to service their e-commerce deliveries? And could that be a harbinger for things to come in the U.S.? And so one of the really interesting findings at that time was that the biggest investors in logistics in China were not logistics companies. They were retailers. They were companies like Alibaba and JD.com. And what they were showing is that the industry was changing from an industry where if you control the assets, you win, to an industry where if you control the customer, you win. And so in in China, a lot of the traditional logistics companies are subcontractors to the retailers. Fast forward a couple years to what we're seeing in the U.S. with all of this investment in logistics from retailers, you're seeing a, a, a very different... Uh, kind of logistic structure, you know, we're in early days, but you're starting to see uh, a a very new logistic structure form. And it will be uh, fascinating. And I, you know, I love, you know, where I'm at at University of Tennessee, because we, we dig into these problems and challenges every day. How is the traditional logistics industry uh, going to respond to this because times are changing?
1: I think you've brought up some really excellent points for us to consider, I and mean, we could continue this conversation for a couple of more hours, but that is all the time that we have today. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. And for our listeners, we hope you'll be back for our next episode. We look forward to seeing you then. I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And I'm Bob Troublecock. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. Thank you.
0: The Rebound is a joint production